Hello, my name is Carl Lloyd Hauser. I am the senior pastor of Grace Community Church, and I am so excited that you are with us on this podcast. We also want you to get connected in a church family. If you don't have a local church, check us out at gracemontrose.org. We want to make sure that you have an opportunity to grow and connect with God. But we pray that these next 25, 30 minutes that you spend with us are powerful, that God meets you and speaks to you because he loves you so much. All right. Well, good morning, Grace. Good to see you. I want to say hello to everyone who's joining us online right now. I think uh, Michelle or Calvin are with you right now, and uh, please say hello, and uh, they'd love to pray for you. Uh, you're welcome to message them. We want to care for you. Thanks for joining us. So uh, we started a new series here. We're going through the book of James. We're going to look at every chapter in the book, and uh, Ken took us through last week, uh, did a wonderful job, got us started on chapter one. And so if you have your Bible, you can open it up to the second chapter, because uh, that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. So he was talking a lot about, uh, if you remember, Ken talked about perceptions. And uh, I wanted to just go a little bit further uh, with that idea. And so I found uh, some memes about perceptions. And I'm sure you've seen this thing of like, you know, this is what my mom thinks I do. This is what my friends think I do. This is what I actually do. And I, so I found one for a pastor. And so I thought this was pretty accurate. Uh, this is what society thinks I do. You're like, Rawr. this is what my parents think I do. Oh, how nice. What my friends think I do. Because I don't golf, but that I get it. What my church thinks I do, what I should do. And this is really true, what I actually do. In fact, just this morning, I was just moving chairs around. That's just kind of what you do. I can't walk through this place without straightening chairs. I just, uh, and so then I found one, well, well, how about our worship pastor? How about Eric? What's it like for him? And so this is what Eric's mom thinks he does. I love this. This is what the youth think Eric does. And this one's even better. This is what the seniors think Eric does. This is what I think Eric does. This is what he thinks he does. He thinks he's Michael W. Smith. And this is what Eric really does. I thought that that's pretty good. And so then I found one for our youth pastor, Sarah. So what does Sarah, this is what Sarah's friends think she does. How sweet. This is what Sarah's mom thinks she does. What do her students think she does? This is my favorite one. What society thinks Sarah does. That, that is a perfect picture. And then uh, this is what Sarah thinks she does. And of course, this is what Sarah's actually doing, spending her time. There. So you know, we've got these uh, perceptions about what we think we are, but then there's the reality of what we really are. You know, the things that we think we do, but the things that we really do. And that's really what we're seeing a lot of the book of James is. He's coming and calling out these inconsistencies in our lives. And have you noticed like people think they're one thing, but they're actually another? You know, you ever met like a person who just seems like, oh, they're, they're really kind of passive and they're, you know, just really laid back. But then when you get to know them, you're like, holy moly, they're aggressive. They're manipulative. They just do it in a really soft way, right? They do it in a way where it still looks good. Or how about people who are, you know, they talk a lot about how tolerant they are and how important tolerance is. But then you get to one group or you get to like kind of one button. You're like, oh my gosh, they are so judgmental. Or how about people who are Christians, and they, they say they're followers of Jesus, and then you get to see their lives, and you're like, holy moly. See my life and say they're so unchrist-like. And so that's what James is really going after here. And so we're going to get into the second chapter, and uh, we'll, we'll go to verse 1, but I'm going to do that later, because I want to go just right to the meat. I think this, uh, this verse that we're going to look at, actually verse 14 I think is the, is the center of this chapter. I think this is the heart of it. And I just want to jump right into the heart of James chapter two. And so he says, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but has no deeds? 
Can such a faith save him? Now, uh, the brilliant and amazing gifted reformer Martin Luther, he hated the book of James. And so if you look at, uh, there's quotes where he calls it, he says it's like the straw epistle. And some people think that he, he disliked it so much that he wanted it removed from the Bible. And the problem is that he saw that this is like bringing us back to works. It's a works-based salvation. He thought James was encouraging us to earn it and to work for it. Now, Martin Luther was brilliant, and I would never say he was wrong and that I'm right, but he was wrong. <laughs> because on that, maybe just a couple other little things. I respect and so much for the church, and I'm grateful for him. But on this one thing, you know, the, I mean, now think about where Martin Luther came into the scene. I mean, so the church was just embroiled uh, with just horrible things. Like John Tetzel was selling indulgences at that time when Martin Luther comes on the scene. So what you would do is you would give the church money, and from that, your relatives would be forgiven for their sins. I mean, that's messed up. You know, you could, you could actually buy your relatives out of purgatory if you would fund the work of the church. And that, that's where Martin Luther comes on the scene. And it's all about works and it's all about deeds. And he was right when he said that we are saved by grace through faith. I mean, that's what Paul tells us. And so Martin Luther didn't want to lose the idea of grace. But I don't think that's what James is doing here. Now, James, uh, he was the half-brother of Jesus. He didn't believe in Jesus while Jesus was alive. It was actually after something amazing happened that opened his eyes. It was actually after the resurrection that James puts his faith in Christ. And he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And if you look at the beginning of the book, he says, okay, this is from James, very first verse, a servant of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I have a, uh, a half-brother. His name is Todd. And, and I would never say of my half-brother, I am a servant of our glorious Lord Todd. You know, he's a good guy, but you just know. I mean, so there's something that's happened here in James. And he's the real deal. And he's encountered Christ. And so what he's saying here, what James is teaching us about this such a gospel, he says that deeds don't earn salvation, but he's saying they are the result. So we don't work our way to Christ. I mean, it comes just by his grace. You are saved by his grace. But if you are saved by his grace, you're going to see it in your life. This is the gospel that comes to us. I mean, and this fits just what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Obey my commands. And so James says, well, this faith, this other faith here, such a faith, is it really a faith at all? And what is this such a faith he's talking about? Well, he's talking about a, a faith without a transformation, without change, a faith without repentance, a faith without submission to Christ, a faith without an encounter with Jesus, a faith without action. Bonhoeffer would call it cheap grace. Think about it, what is love without action? You, if you want to find out what love is, go to 1 Corinthians 13, it defines us for it. Patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, keeps no record of wrong. Love is action, right? I mean, it's just a nice idea without action. What is faith without action? It's just a lifeless theory kind of hanging up here. So you got to understand, Christianity is not a philosophy. I was talking to a friend of mine. We were philosophizing together. 
And she was telling me, uh, she says, well, you know, her philosophy is that, um, that we're all just products of everything. So you're a product of your genetics, you're a product of your environment. There really is no self, there's no will, there's just, there's just kind of responses to what happens to you. And I was like, okay. And I, and I said, well, what, what, what about evil? You know, what, what is, how's that fit into that? No, she says, well, actually, really, there, there is no such thing as evil. I'm like, okay. She says, there's things that are just helpful or less helpful. So I thought about that for a little while, and I said, well, so, so the Holocaust was just extremely unhelpful. And she smiled because she knew that I had her, and she said, uh, yes, it was just paramountly unhelpful. So it's a nice idea that she had. It's a nice philosophy up there, but how do you live that? I mean, how do you live without dealing with evil? We just run into it. You, you got it. You got to contend with evil. And see, Christianity isn't meant to just be up here in your brain. It's just not these nice ideas, but Christianity is meant to be lived. It's a, it's a rubber hits the road religion. It's an everyday religion. And so you got to understand the gospel. The gospel is not just heaven someday. It is heaven someday. But the gospel is relationship with God right now. See, the gospel is right now. It's not just one day without sin. It is one day. We will be completely sinless, and I can't wait. But it is forgiveness and being a new creation in Jesus Christ right now. And it's not just this belief about God, this idea about God, but it's transformation in the way that we live every single day. So such a faith... So what James is saying here is you can't have a faith that kind of works up here, but it never extends here to your hands and how you live. And we'll see later in a week or two how it comes out in your speech and what you say. And James right here, he's saying, come on, guys. Don't fool yourselves. If you've really encountered Christ, you are going to be different. You're going to live this thing. It's going to come out in the way you treat other people. It's going to come out in everything that you do. And if it's not, are you sure that you've encountered Jesus? Are you sure that you've come to him if it's made no change in your life whatsoever? Because Jesus changes us. Verse 15, suppose a brother or sister without clothes is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. What a callous thing for a person to say in this hypothetical example. I mean, so what was the problem? Okay, they don't have clothes and they don't have food. So you say, oh, you don't have clothes or food. Well, be warm and be well fed. I mean, that would be like if, if you're driving by and you see a hitchhiker and you open up your window and you yell, hey, get a ride. <laughs> like what? Or you see somebody out in the rain, you know, don't get wet. <laughs> I mean, so callous here. And, and James is like, seriously, is that how we're going to do this? Because an encounter with Jesus changes the way we look at need. Did you get that? If you've encountered Jesus, the way that you look at lacking, even the way that you look at sin in someone else, if you've encountered Jesus, it, it just changes because when Jesus was up on the cross, he, he didn't yell, hey, deal with your sin. He didn't say, hey, everybody fix yourself. See, that's the heart of our God. 
is that he sees brokenness and he sees pain. He's just like, ah, oh, rushing right to it. I got to help. I got to intervene. And he sees sin and he doesn't, he doesn't just say, well, I'll just ah, fix yourself, get better, then come to me. No, that's when he sends his rescue mission. That's when he goes after you, is in the middle of the sin. The heart of God is to enter into brokenness. I would say chase after brokenness. So I would say that an indicator of our connection with Jesus, of our walk, of our maturity, is our reaction to need and brokenness and sin. And do you know why? Because if you've encountered Jesus, you've tasted grace. Am I, am I, am I the only one who, who like, he, he just, like, when God found me, like, you wouldn't want to be with me. When God came to me, I mean, I really should have just been left to the side. I should have been forgotten. But for, for some reason, he, I mean, he comes to me and, and he grabs me and he pulls me all out of that. I mean, have you tasted his grace? Has he given you love and forgiveness that you don't deserve? And I'm not talking about just when I was saved. I'm talking again and again and again, like another chance, Jesus? I, I get to get up and keep going again? Oh, it's so good. And James, he's not saying, well, earn it, work harder. He's saying, live it, because he made you alive. Let's see it come out in your life. So the, the cliche, and, and it's a good cliche, it's, it's a true cliche, but we say all the time, we say, love the sinner, but hate the sin, right? Okay. But here's the question, follower of Jesus, do we? Do you? Do you love the sinner but hate the sin? All right, let's look at verse 18. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So here we have again, it's not just an idea. I mean, even the demons know who God is and know what God is about. But it's the way it comes out in your life, the way it transforms who you are. That's the power of the gospel. And see, it's one thing to know something, but it's another thing to be something. I know I am a new creation in Christ. You know you're a new creation in Christ? Well, do you act like it? Do you live every day like I am a new creation in Christ? See, I know that I am royalty I mean, that's what the scripture says. You're royalty. You're a royal priesthood. Son or daughter of the most high God, the king of kings. Do you live it? Is that how you walk through every single day? I know, I know up here, I know that I'm secure. And I'm protected and, and God watches over me. Do I live like a person is secure? I know I'm significant you are so precious. You are so significant. And do you walk around every day understanding and walking in the incredible significance that you have in him? See, because James, it's not just the don'ts. It's not just the shoulds that he's talking about here. This is, this is the you are's. And this is the you have's. And this is the you can. See, you are pure. Are we living like it? He says, come out. And what we do, you have everything you need for life and godliness. Is that how you live? 
You can step out in faith. You can move forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can reach them. Is that how we are living? And James says, come on. Get past here and get it here. And it needs to come out right here. Let's see it in what we do. All right, so picking up in verse 20, James tells us, you foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Boy, I'd love to be called God's friend. In fact, we are called God's friend. And you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Now, this example of Abraham, God comes to him. And it'd be one thing for for Abraham to say, God says, okay, I want you to sacrifice your only son. And it would be one thing for Abraham to say, I'd do that. I would do that for you. Sure. Yeah, I would would do that for you. Okay. You know, like I, I would like to say, I would die for you. But would I really? I don't know. You know, I hope so, but I might run, just so you know. (laughs) I hope it's in me, but I don't know. And there's only one way to really know, isn't it? And there was only one way for Abraham. I think God knew, but there's only one for Abraham to know if he really would. And it's when he stands above his son with the knife about to bring it down and the angel holds his arm back. No, that's when we know. In his deeds and in his actions, we find out what his faith is really made of. Find out who he really is and what he really believes. And it's in our deeds and in our actions that we find out what we really believe and what our faith is really made of. Now, how many of you here are, uh, they're savers and they're spenders. How many of you are, uh, are savers? How many of you are spenders? All right, so for the sake of your family, I hope you guys are married together so you can... <laughs> That you'll be okay. If you got two spenders, look out. You're having a lot of fun, but it's expensive. All right. Now, God is the savior, right? But God is a spender. You know, you don't ever see anywhere where it says, and God said, get a big pile of money. He never says, you know, pile up a bunch of people. Make sure you get a whole bunch of stuff. If God's going to ever, if God ever piles things, it's just because he's about to build something. And anything that comes in, it just goes out. He spends and he spends and he gives and he gives. You know why? Because he knows he's never going to run out. That's our problem. Because we're afraid we're going to run out. Right? So we got a pile and we got a hole. But God just spends and he gives and he gives. And so here's the point here. Do you have piles of wisdom? Do you have piles of knowledge up here? Are you a person who's just like, I've got so much faith. I've got piles of faith. Well, spend it. Give it out. Use it for the glory of God. It's not for you. It's for them. It's for him. And it's for his glory. And James is calling. He's like, God has given you so much. Now give it away. Push it out there. Live it. Be it. See it throughout your life. In verse 24, that's where James is talking about this kind of faith. You can't have a faith without works. They have to be together. They work together. This inward transformation But Jesus, it brings an outward expression in the way we treat other people. 
And out of our encountering Jesus again and again and deeper and deeper, and as you go deeper with him, you can't help but help. You just have to. Because that's who Jesus is. That's what God does. So now let's go back to where, where, where I said we'd go in, into verse one here. And I wanted to get to the pith first, and, and now we're gonna get to the, this beginning part. And it says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, and among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Now, what, what I wanted you to see here is that this kind of faith that he's talking about, it, it affects the way that we see other people. And see, if you've encountered Christ and you know Christ, you start to see other people like Jesus sees them. And you can't look at them the same way. Now, I want you to think for just a minute. In your life, and I think if we're honest, I think we all have one of these. In your life, who is them? Okay, just think about them. And so for you, it might be Democrats, or it could be Trumpers, or maybe it's uh, like guys with man buns, or, or, or maybe it's guys with camel hats. I don't know, right? But I, I want you to think for just a minute, okay? Who is them in your life? Okay, I'll give you just a second. Who's your them? Okay, you got it? All right now, pray this prayer with me, okay? If you're, if you're so bold, pray this prayer, okay? Just pray right now. Jesus, how do you see them? Show us, Lord. Holy Spirit, I ask you to just show us right now all these thems that we have. How do you see them? Now, I would guess that Jesus sees them just a little different than you do. I would guess that maybe he has just a little different opinion and maybe a little less judgment than we bring to them. And they may be wrong and, you know, they're, they're all messed up and everything else. But I think that Jesus has a different opinion. You know, I was thinking the other day, I, um, I was listening to this podcast that my daughter had me listen to that I completely disagreed with. And uh, I got done and I was like, oh, these people, they're so stupid. That's what I said. And I thought about it. I'm like, wait a second. These people aren't stupid. These people are smart. I think maybe they're just deceived. Right? It's, just, it's just a different understanding. Jesus, how do you see them? And it's so subtle. And we would say, oh, I would never treat someone differently because they're poor. Are you sure? It's so subtle. You know, um, I, I've got uh, some bad news I found in this uh, study and at least bad news for me, not for everybody here, but it said that good-looking people, that they actually, just by no other reason except that they're good-looking, make 12% more money than the rest of us. <laughs> just because they're good-looking, that's not fair. It said that, uh, that study also said that good-looking people, if you go, uh, you turn a resume in, that uh, just most of us, we, we have about a 30% average callback rate on a resume, those good-looking people, 50%, just because they're good looking. That is so unfair. But see, th the thing is, is don't, have you ever treated an attractive person differently? I mean, it's so subtle. We, we say we never would, right? 
But how about this? Have you ever like approached a person who has a certain position, a certain status, a certain influence? You ever treat them a little differently? Or how about someone who's similar to you versus someone who's different? You know, they're kind of, they're like that. Someone from the front range, you know? <laughs> I came from there, so I can say that. Someone who's maybe charming or not. Lord, help me to see them like you. You know, no respecter of persons. That's what scripture says. He doesn't play favorites. In fact, look at Jesus himself. Isaiah 53 verse 2. Let's look at a description of Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. That tells me he was one of us. He wasn't one of the beautiful people. Now, I think that when you see him face to face, you are going to be overwhelmed by his beauty and his majesty. But I think he came to like this on earth because he looks at the things that are important. He, he wanted us to see, now, what really matters here? And you know what matters? You know, when he looks at you, do you know what he sees? Potential. He sees the diamond in the rough. Oh man, that's why I can see it. I see it in other people because I see, I mean, how rough I was and how rough I am and how he smooths and he chips and he just brings something beautiful. He brings something beautiful out of your life. And he looks at us and sees potential. So see it in them. When you look, do you see potential? Do you saw it, see beauty? And yeah, you see all that rough, but you look at him like Christ and say, wow, God can do something here. See, I want to be like Jesus. You know, how, how can a heart be transformed to be like Jesus? And actually, James, he, he shows us. And we'll go back to the first chapter that Ken covered, and we'll go to verse 25. And I actually think that this is the prescription. This is where we start. This is how the transformation takes place in our life. And he says in verse 25 of chapter 1, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The man who looks intently into the perfect law. Now, what's the perfect law? Jesus came, what did Jesus come to do with the law? Abolish it? No, fulfill it, right? So the perfect law is the whole counsel of God. It's the whole truth of God as breathed and brought to us by the Holy Spirit as we engage it. So it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he who looks intently into that. Now, the Greek word for look intently, it's perikipsis. And what it literally means, it means to stoop down. And so we see in this perikipsis, in this look intently, what it means is it's to get close. It's to have a posture of humility. It's to wait and it's to look. It's to search. He says, now, not, not just reading the word, but to look intently into it. You're going to be transformed if you do that. When I was a kid, my grandma used to uh, give me these tracks. They terrified me. I hated them. But there's this one track that she gave, and I remember it. It said, uh, if you read 10 chapters of the Bible every day, in about a week, your face will start to glow. So, huh. And so I tried. I didn't quite get to 10 chapters, but it didn't even clear up my acne. It didn't even, it didn't help at all. 
And you know, I'll tell you what, I, um, I haven't been reading the Bible much lately. I've been meditating on it. Just slowing way down. Now, I'm in the Word every single day. And I want to encourage you, I'm never going to stop saying this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you need to be in the Bible every single day. This is life. This is truth. This is the way. We look intently into it. So every single day I come in and I look intently and I actually got done, you know, they have those Bible reading plans. I just got done. I just finished reading the entire Bible, uh, but it took me three and a half years. Seriously. And I'm starting again. I'm doing it in a different translation because I just wanted to go and I wanted to drink it in and I wanted to look intently. And so every chapter I just kind of slow down and I meditate and I'm okay with the Lord. Now, what does this mean? I want it to be a mirror. I want it to reflect back to me the things that you need to change and the things that you want to do. And James tells us, if you do that, what comes? Freedom. Life. Jesus wants freedom for you. Get into the word, meditate on it, look at it intently, and freedom will start to come into you. Transformation will come. And you could say, well, Carl, you're not looking that great. Well, you should have seen where I was when I started. He's taken me a long, long way. I just had further to go than a lot of people. And so we get into the word and then it says, and then after you look into it, do it, do something about it. So we go and we see what Jesus says. And he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. All right. Well, Lord, what does that mean in my life? Who are my enemies? Okay, Lord, what does it mean to love my enemies? Well, remember first Corinthians 13 means to be patient with them, to be kind to hold no record of their wrong. Oh man, I've got some work to do here. This mirror, I'm not sure I like what I see, but I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna be transformed by it. And then we read like in this passage and in Galatians, don't show favoritism. Okay, God, what does that mean? Well, you know that annoying guy that when he comes this way, you go that way? It's time for you to go that way. It's time for you to seek after him. Chase after him. Don't show favoritism. Let it be a reflection. Let's, let's let it be a mirror. Let's look intently into this. Okay, then he says, and let your gentleness be evident to all. So is that jerk at work, is he included in all? Is he part of all? Let your gentleness be evident to all. You let the word of God just work through you by the Holy Spirit. Oh God, show me what you mean. Show me what you want. And your life changes. And do you see what it says will happen? It says, and he will be blessed. If you're willing to do that, if you put in the time, if you be humble and vulnerable, just kind of stoop down, okay, Lord, I'll receive whatever you have for me. You will be blessed. What a wonderful promise. And when I think, yeah, I want to be like Jesus. I mean, he was so amazing. He always just had the right word at the right time. You know, he was going after the right things. And it's like he was just this fountain of blessing. And, you know, there's blessing in him. And he's just pouring out and blessing is going everywhere he goes. Because he is the word. And we want to live the word. In church, you know, we just got done with the series saying never again. This is the way forward. This is what the church has to be in this season. This is what the church was always meant to be. Is not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not people who just know it, but people who live it. 
And we are broken vessels before him and we are in need before him. But we draw near to him and he transforms us and he pulls beauty out of the ashes so that we can give it away. So that we can pull others up and be like Jesus in all that we do. So we're gonna close right now with a time of communion. And what a beautiful, amazing thing that God invites us to his table and that Jesus actually invites us to partake in his body and in his blood, to just to take him in. But this time I'm gonna ask you to, if you would, you can do whatever you would like to do, but if you'll add one thing to, to your preparation as you get your heart ready, I'd like you to just ask before God. And, and I'd like you to, to pray this. God, what do I know that I don't do? Okay? Just one thing. And you don't have to fix it all right now. Let's just bring one thing before God. And he showed me one thing last night. There was one thing that I, I know, but I don't really do. And I just repented. And I was like, okay, Jesus, that's a, that's a tough one for me but I want that one different. I want to change. So I, I repent of it right now and I, I will endeavor but with your help, by your blood, to start doing that now, okay? So what do I know that I don't do? And so I'll pray for you and then uh, we'll grab the elements and uh, you can take uh, communion as you're ready. So Lord God, I just thank you. I thank you for this faith that's real. Thank you for this faith that is every day. And that it's not just some good ideas, it's not just some beliefs, but it's transformation and it's relationship and it's connection. Oh, you're such a beautiful God and I just thank you for your full counsel, Lord, that we are saved by grace through faith, as Paul tells us, and that our faith comes out in works, as James teaches us. And Lord, I pray that we would live the full gospel. We would live the full counsel. And so I ask Holy Spirit that right now, as all of us, as we say, Lord, what do I know that I don't do, that you would bring the thing to mind, the first place that you want to begin and change in our lives. We welcome that. We ask for that, Lord. And then we ask for power from your Holy Spirit to overcome. Lord, we ask uh, in our repentance that you would meet us and you would give us grace and you would give us victory, Lord because I know what you want is freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope that God spoke to you. We would love to follow up and care for you any way that we can. So come visit us at gracemontrose.org. Say hello. Let us know what we can do to help you grow in him. God bless you.